Today's reading is from Mark chapter 8 and 9. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Cyrea, Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist and others, Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus, the gospel of our Lord. Thanks, Sharon. You may be seated. Grace and peace this morning. So imagine Jesus is a baseball pitcher for a moment. This morning we find him at the mound, tossing a ball in his hand. He's got a pitch that he's waiting to unload. And Peter steps up to the plate, and Jesus lets the ball fly. Who do you say that I am? 
Peter sees this pitch coming straight at him, and there's nowhere he can hide. There's a lot at stake here, and so Peter swings with all his might. And you hear the crack, that satisfying crack of the connection between bat and ball, and Peter says, you are the Messiah. This one looks like it's headed straight for the bleachers, folks, but... Keep your eye on the pitcher because it looks like he's saying something. He's saying, I must undergo great suffering and rejection and be killed. And with these words, the ball starts wavering and sinking. And then it just drops like a rock as we hear Peter protest, saying, but that's not what messiahs do. How are you supposed to save us if you're going to get killed? And as the ball hits the ground with a deadening thud, Jesus turns to the batter and says, Get behind me, Satan. My heart goes out fully to Peter. Jesus asks him a really, really loaded question. And Peter, to his credit, courageously answers it, speaking from his heart, speaking from his deepest hope, speaking from what he believed to be true about the world. And then he is publicly rebuked and called out, ouch. He tries his best and he fails. He's just wrong and there's no place where he can hide. I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that all of you can relate to Peter. I'm going to make the wild guess that each and every one of you has made a mistake where it was clear that you were in the wrong and where it was public and where you felt pretty bad about it. When I was writing this sermon, in my brain played a montage, just a parade of mistakes that I've made in my life. And each one of them still makes me cringe, even years later. Why is that? Literally every single person makes mistakes. It's super normal. It's totally natural. And yet, for a lot of us, when we're the ones who screw up, when we're the one who is wrong, it seems like the world crumbles around us. It feels like everything we believe to be true about ourselves and about the world is being called into question. There's some shame involved here, isn't there? Shame is that nasty feeling that tells us not only did you mess up, you are messed up. Not only did you do something bad, you are bad. Now, you can explore in therapy the roots of your individual shame and what specifically triggers it showing up in your life, but we've all got it. 
each one of us has, in the wake of some mistake we've made, felt that rush of shame creeping in, and we start to see ourselves as unworthy, undeserving, unlovable. Gosh, what a sad way to feel. It honestly breaks my heart to think of each one of you bearing shame in your life and just walking around with it. So the bad news is we don't get to choose whether or not we will have to deal with shame in our lives. It does come to all of us eventually. The good news is that we have a choice on how we can deal with it. Now, our first option is to try to avoid the things that are going to bring us shame and to avoid them at all costs. This is understandable. Shame is about the worst feeling that there is. And so this impulse is really good. But the way most of us try to outrun shame is by trying to ensure that we'll never be wrong and never make a mistake. If we never screw up, then we never have to deal with shame. And we can do this either by withdrawing and hiding, because if we never try, then we can never fail. Or we can do this, and this is my method, by building mastery, right? Because if I can learn everything and know it all, then I can never be wrong. Now, you know what comes of this, right? <laughs> Like, I don't need to take time in this sermon to spell out what inevitably will happen. <laughs> so the other option we have is to make peace with getting it wrong. And this is the way that Jesus invites us to take. Like most things in Christianity, it is counterintuitive this way doesn't exactly seem alluring, at least not by the standards of this world, but also, like most things in Christianity, the way that seems like it leads to death ends up bringing us life. Jesus says to Peter and all those gathered around him today, those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. When we attempt to save our lives from shame by withdrawing or becoming experts, we're going to fall flat on our face eventually. But if we start from a place that accepts the inevitability of losing, we will say, you know what? I don't have this figured out. I'm going to get things wrong. And that peace, that's the place where we're going to find our true life. There is a grace in being wrong. There is a gift God is offering us in our mistakes. And the grace of being wrong is this. It proves that you're human, just like the rest of us. Making a mistake doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you a person. And that means you are not 
alone. You're limited, you're learning, but you're part of this vast mess of humanity that is still figuring it out. And everyone can profoundly relate to what you're going through. The grace of being wrong means that you are confronted with the deep truth that you don't have the full truth. And so you have to look outside of yourself. You have to look to God. And even scarier, you have to look toward other people. And lo and behold, that is right where Jesus wants us. The worst thing to Jesus isn't being wrong or making a mistake. No, Jesus continues his relationship with Peter and the disciples. And in this gospel, they are wrong at nearly every turn. So that's not what scares Jesus away. The worst thing to Jesus is not engaging. It's imagining that you are set apart. It's not wanting to enter the fray of this life. In Mark's gospel, Jesus has zero patience for people who think they've got it all figured out. For people who think they get a pass from being human. You know, sometimes I think we get confused about why we have faith and what the goal really is. We think that our faith should make us more like God. But really, our faith should make us more human. When we make peace with the fact that we make mistakes and that we don't know everything and that we're going to get it wrong, that is exactly what we're doing. We are embracing our humanity we are celebrating the image of God in us. We are trusting that there is a God out there, and so we don't have to be, to, to be God ourselves. We can be fully human, which is exactly what God created us to be. What if the next time you get it wrong, you didn't listen to the shame telling you that you are bad and unlovable? What if you viewed it as an opportunity to celebrate that you are human and that God called you good and that God made you to be just like this? Yes, of course, we can celebrate when we get things right, but we can look for God and God's invitation in our confusion and our mistakes too. I think it's significant that in today's story, when Jesus is transfigured, yes, there is glory and revelation and there is stunning light that shines on Jesus. But then, did you catch this? A cloud, a cloud overshadows everybody. And that is where the voice of God speaks. Yes, God is present in the light, but God is also present in the clouds. God's there not just in the glory of when you get it right, but God's promise comes to you in the shadows of when you get it wrong. So this Lent, we are going to read the book A Good Time for the Truth, 
and there's still time to sign up, by the way, and you should. This book talks about race in Minnesota. And for many of us, especially those of us who are white, talking about race is something where we perceive that there is a high probability of us not only screwing up and making a mistake, but of feeling blame and shame. Nobody wants to be racist. Nobody wants to be called racist. And then, too often, we let that fear of being wrong, we let that fear of making a mistake keep us from engaging in this conversation altogether. This is exactly what it looks like to try to save your life, only to lose it. What would it look like for us as a church to head into this book study knowing that we're going to make mistakes, but refusing to let those mistakes bring us shame? What if we learned about race in Minnesota with the assumption that God is offering us a certain grace in our being wrong and mistaken? What if we surround ourselves with the knowledge that God is with us when we reevaluate and re-examine the ways we view the world and admit that we don't have all the answers or that the answers we have don't cut it? What if we resolve to see God in the clouds and the shadows of our confusion and limited knowledge? My guess, through this process, each of us will be transfigured. Amen.